All right, you legends, welcome back to another Talking Chang podcast. It has been an eternity since we've made a podcast. Uh, well, it feels like an eternity anyway. But we have a very fitting guest today, and I thought that no better guest than uh, Abdullah Zainab, who recently won the Trans America 2019. He broke the record, won it easily by a long, long way, and uh, by about 600 miles, actually, about 1,000 kilometers he won it by. And so I thought, you know what, let's get him in, have a chat with him. I haven't seen anything really on conventional cycling media, and I'm really disappointed about that. And so I thought, you know what, this is a good opportunity to tell Abdullah's story. Uh, he not only smashed the, uh, the Trans-America, but he won the 2018 unofficial Indie Pack as well, the race uh, from Perth to Sydney across Australia, across the South Coast. And uh, he won that by a long way as well. So I think we have a new talent within the ultra-distance uh, ultra endurance cycling world. And uh, this guy is very interesting. He's a lovely guy. We chatted for nearly two hours and uh, we spoke about all things equipment, nutrition, uh, how it actually felt out there, how it compared to the Indy Pack and uh, you know what the terrain was like and so on and so forth. So you, you'll get into that but I want to thank you guys for tuning in again and uh, hopefully there's a little bit more consistency moving forward with the podcast but uh, until then, enjoy this and I'll see you in the next one. Abdullah Zina, for how long has it been since you and I have seen each Maybe other? Maybe a year. It's got to it be. It's got to be. Time goes quick. Probably longer than what we think. Probably longer than yeah. Probably yeah, yeah. longer than what we think. It doesn't feel long. But it's, uh, oh, mate. We've had a long hiatus with the Talking Chang podcast. Yeah. So I thought this was definitely having you on board was uh -huh. definitely a, a fitting, um, a fitting reason mm. to get back into it. Mm. I watched your dot for the. Uh, for the for the Trans Am, and I was just absolutely blown away from day one. <laughs> you gapped the rest of the field, and Slightly. that and and there was a lot of people that were like, yeah, but it's only day one. Yeah, that's what they always say, <laughs> mate. Yeah. Can't, you just got further away. Yeah, yeah. As the days went on, yeah. I mean, it depends who's saying that. Who's saying, oh, you know, oh, it's only day one. I, you know, it's true. It is only day one. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm not really thinking about it day one, day two, day three. I don't really care. I'm just riding the way I want to ride. And riding slow is boring, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Try riding 6,800K slow, you'll kill yourself. It's just nauseating. It's so. a tough It's a tough gig. And you, you have to ride slow because you've got so much mm. stuff on your bike. You got, you're riding slow, but you're putting in maximum effort. Yeah. The, the maximum effort you can at that level of fatigue. Like You're not like 180 heart rate. But you're trying your hardest just to keep riding as fast as you can. Yeah. Um, so, but obviously you're going slow. Like you can't, it's not like you go out there doing 35K an hour, 38K. You know, you can't do that. Yeah. Body just won't allow you. You yeah. just can't. Well, yeah. I just can't. I'll try, but it, it's not happening. Yeah. So were you, so I, I and I can only talk from my personal mm. experience of riding the Indy Pack, right? Mm. So, and I know what it's like out there, out yeah. on the road. Um, but you were obviously... In comparison to you and I, you were at the pointy end of the bike mm. race and I was at the back of the bike race having showers every night and, and, and sort of chilling out in hotel rooms. Um, so, but in terms of speed on the road, yeah. I remember it, it just, there was, the bike was so heavy mm. and if you get a bit of wind, I mean, you're doing 10K an hour, 12K an hour yeah. sometimes. I mean, sometimes, I mean. Were I mean, you my, in the full time trial? Time trial. I try and stay like in the time trial position as much as I can. I mean, America's very hilly, so 
it's not like the Nullarbor. The Nullarbor is like, mate, just bend, just sit in that time trial position and just cycle like, like you can do, you're doing 2,800K in that time trial position before you even go up a hill. Yeah. So in America, it's a lot different because you're going up uh, a lot of climbs. It was actually good for me because my neck and shoulders from training were just jacked up before I did the race. And I thought, I'm not really good at climbing, but at least I know I can stand when I climb. Yeah. So I thought it's going to give my neck and shoulders a lot of um, rest from being in that time trial position. But my bike wasn't that heavy. Like I think we weighed it, it was like 12 and a half to 13 kilos. Yeah. So just the way you ride it, like I would stay in hotels, so I don't really need to bring that much stuff. So it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Well, let's talk about – okay, so let's let's go back to the start mm. really. Um, the, the 2017 Indy Pack mm. was the first of the Indy Packs mm-hmm. and that was the – for those that are listening that aren't familiar, it's a race from Perth to Sydney via the south coast mm-hmm. essentially you could say. Uh, I participated in that one and there was that, that was where Michael was killed yeah. late in the race. Um, um, who won it? Um, well, it, it ended in a bizarre way. Like yeah. Christoph, the guy, Christoph, he was on his, he was uh, in, uh, it starts with a T somewhere in his sin, his Sydney. Yeah. Maybe 150 k's out from Sydney, 100 k's out from so Sydney. He, he had just before the National up. Park. Yeah. Um, Tra- tragic. I, I, yeah. I mean, he ended up finishing, he ended up riding to the finish, finish line later that night. But he stopped for ages and they were on the side of the road and he was, you know, like just telling him what happened. It was crazy. And you were there. So my point is yeah. of this telling this tale is yeah. you were there as uh-huh. the videographer. Uh-huh. And so you video recorded. You had almost not an unfair advantage, but you got it was to unfair. see it insights. Was unfair. Yeah, it was unfair. Yeah. It, wasn't, it, it, it was unfair that I knew the route so well to someone else. You know? Well, not just that, but you could see what I was carrying yeah. in comparison to, to one of I got of to see the differences between the top and the back and just the, even, even the mindsets, the way they talked about it how yeah. the people at the front would talk about it, how the people at the back would talk about it. So I was just paying attention. Because, you know, I was just – because I cycled before, like a little bit, you know, before that I was yeah. into cycling. So I was kind of already interested. Yeah. So I was I was also amazed it's, by what they're doing. Like what what, what, are, they, what are they doing? Like, incidentally, Abdullah's version of cycled before, I mean the guy's ridden from Melbourne to Adelaide mm. several times for the Tour Down Under in like – yeah, yeah, huge amount of case. So it's not like you're yeah. a novice bike rider. You're no, a pretty, no, no, you're a pretty yeah. good. We were bike all just rider. we were just riding on and off, like. So yeah, I guess we were always on and off is still cycling. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you you got to see all the different uh, the mindsets, yeah. and I think for you that's a big one. The mindset was key. The mindset was key. That they the guys at the front, I was just amazed by how they looked like they were just going on a Sunday group ride. Like they were just riding. Like it's was not it? like it's not like you know there was. Uh, I saw Christoph one time, you know, he showed me if he was at the beach. He'd tell me he was reading a book. Like, I'm like, what, dude? What do you mean you're reading a book, man? You're in a race. Like, you know what I mean? You've just written 3,800K. You're like telling me you're going to the beach and laughing about the beach in a book. And I was just like, what, man? Was this after the race or? No, during? this is during. Like, these are, these are, this is like how he's doing it during. Like, Great Ocean Road, wasn't it? Yeah, somewhere like it was. We were out near uh, on the border of South Australia, Victoria, near Robe. I think he stopped in Robe and went for a swim. And I just thought that was kind of illuminating because I just thought, wow, it's just a regular day for this dude. That must be how they continue. It's just normal. They're not like, oh my god, I'm doing this crazy bike race across the country. It's just like I'm just riding lunch and then I'm riding dinner and then I'm going to stop at that beach. You know, the following year I stopped at the same beach, man. I thought this is my. I'm going to stop at this beach and have lunch, and I stopped there and had lunch and. Yeah, it was a hard day that day, but I remember like, so it was just normal for them. 
It really takes a certain type of mindset when mm. you compare, you know, us guys at the back. I mm. mean, we were we were stressed out about getting to the hotel. You know, I don't want to speak for anyone else yeah. that was around me at the time, mm. but I remember vividly stressing mm. about getting to the next hotel in time for them to close so yeah. that I've got a bed and a shower. Yeah, well, I do the same. Yeah, I do the same. I'd stress out about the hotel, like because you're you know you're riding all day to get to this hotel. You're getting riding all day to get a destination. You want to make sure it's open, man. So, I mean, sometimes it doesn't work out. It's really un- – you can't really go to like tw- across the whole country and not have it, have it perfectly work out all the time. Like, you know, I've had times where I've gone to the hotel where the hotel doesn't exist or go to the hotel and it's, it's shut. You know, it's been closed for like two months. So then you're like, oh, well, I have to keep going. But that ends up being a blessing anyway because you cover more distance and you're forced to. Yeah. Yeah, it's more – it feels good. So you got through the so you you, you got through that 2017 impact as mm. as the videographer, uh-huh. and so what inspired you? I mean, when did you know you? Were I knew I was going to do it when I was filming it. Right. I remember. I just I was watching, and I thought it's you know it reminded me it was the same. It's the same. It's kind of a curse, at the, but a blessing at the same time. Like it's like I just saw what they were going through, and I just thought oh, I got to do this, man. And I just told my girlfriend like I got to try this thing. Um, and then I could never back out after I thought I got to try this thing. You know, I thought it was cool because I had no expectations. I just thought I got to try this thing, and then that haunted me for months, just knowing that I had to do what I thought. And then I just got back from overseas. I just started training for it, and then it was like something out of a movie. Then I got the message that the race was cancelled, and I thought, oh, oh my god, now I definitely have to do it. Now there's no question. Now that they've cancelled it, I de- it's hundred percent. I have to do it. It's confirmed. So um, it even became more important once they cancelled it because I'm like, yeah, this is how important it is to me. I don't care about it being official. And then that's how it worked out. It was basically just watching what they were going through. Yeah. And so went throughout that IndyPak 2018 mm. version, did you feel a bit ripped off? Yeah, considering the attention the 2017 mm. version got, did you feel a bit lonely? or uh, a bit, I didn't uh, feel like, you know, well, I felt this, the thing is like that type of writing, I've done some of that type of writing before and no one knows about it, you know, so I'm not used to people knowing about it. Like my mum's the only person who's known about some of the rides I've done. You're like, so to have that, I felt like, wow, there's a lot of support. I can't, I, and I got a lot of support too because no one really, in that kind of scene, no one really knew who I was and I just just rocked up and, and they love it when you smash it. When you just go for broke, they, they get around it. So going for broke the way I did at that time, I, felt, I definitely felt the support and they're so kind but – I didn't feel ripped off. It was more support than I've ever had for any sort of riding or athletic thing I've ever done. Did you have a strategy going into the Indy Pack, the 2018? Yeah, I mean, I saw my my strategy was just to like just go as hard as I could the whole time. Like I, I when I started planning it, my plan was basically just to pick what I thought was like a reasonable distance and then just do like 100Ks more than what I thought would be reasonable. I didn't want to assume I knew... I didn't because how do you know? Like I've never been out in the middle of nowhere. Like um, my, you know, it's it feels pretty serious out there. Like you're like I need to make this next stop, man. I got no food. I've never been in that situation. I don't know what my body and mind's capable of under in that scenario. But all I did know is that if I set out to do, if I limited myself in the plan, then it, I'll be shooting myself in the foot because it's easy to have a, a really ambitious plan and cut back on it. I mean, literally, because you're seeing, you'd be like, oh, I'll just go back to, I'll go to that stop. But it's, it's a lot harder to have like a, a conservative plan and build on it. Yeah. Like, go, okay, I'm going to do another 100K. And you know when you're out there, like that's not something, you're like, I'm, 
I'm not doing another 100K on top of what you thought you were going to do. That rarely ever happens. Your mind's like trying to shut you down at any opportunity. So knowing that my mind was going to shut me down at any opportunity, I needed to just stick to my plan. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. I think my looking back in mine, my, my plan was too ambitious in mm. that I didn't take wind into account. Oh, and, and so when you you, you got a headwind for mm. days on end, mm. it significantly affects your, your progress. Yeah, crazily. So, so you got through the indie pack. Yeah, uh, was there you know a massive crowd at the finish? Oh, there, you know there was a massive crowd. Like in, yeah, because you know it's massive in the sense that you spend so many days by yourself. In the whole thing, you really spend by yourself. You know, you see like dot watches and stuff come out, and that's crazy. That makes a big difference. Does it do your head in? Did it do your head? No, in I mean shit? sometimes you just get too tired. Like yeah. you can't. The thing is, by the end of it, you can't even listen to music because it's too much for your mind to focus on just to listen to music. So you can imagine the fact now you can't even listen to music. Like if you're just hearing the sound of your brake rub on your rim is like, it will do your head in. So to have someone come and try and talk, it, it, it becomes challenging. But they know, a lot of them, are, a lot of them are, in, are in the clue. Like they know, they're like, oh, this dude can't talk. We're just going to be a presence here. And that's appreciated, you know what I mean? And you do try your best to talk to them because in a way they're a part of your performance. They, they do increase your performance. That amount of support increases your performance. So you kind of have to pay it forward to them and just like, not be a baby. I totally agree with you. Mm. I t- you know, uh, m- much to, much respect to um, uh, um, Sarah Hammond mm. for you know she's an absolute weapon on a bike oh, as yeah, far sure as she's crazy. As, you know, as, the, as the women go. But she is a big one, I think, for just having her personal space. Whereas yeah. I was quite, I felt quite receptive to people coming out to me throughout the indie pack. Mm. Um, but it is difficult to to hold yeah. a conversation. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You, you, you just know? can't. You, there's not. You just can't handle that many things. Yeah. Your brain can't handle it. It's just focused on writing. Yeah. At that yeah. point. Yeah. You know? I'm receptive too. Like I love the people. Yeah. I need the people. Yeah. So I definitely love them. And so, what was your driving factor out there uh, throughout the indie pack? You know, was it mm. uh, in terms of contact with other humans? Was it Instagram? People sending you messages? It was Instagram. It was Facebook. Like it was um, my phone. You know, just little messages light up your day. Someone says, you know, someone could smile, I'd start crying. Someone you could were that say, emotional. Oh, I'd cry every day, man. <laughs> I'd cry every day. I cried every day on the Trans Am. Good, good. Boy. You know what I mean? So. I love to cry on these things, man. Just and I love to just get so moved by something so small. Yeah, you know, because usually, like, if someone smiles at you in the street, you're gonna be like, "What are you looking at?" You know, you think something's wrong, but out there, it feels a lot different. Your senses and your emotions are heightened just to a level that it would be good if I could smile at you, you'd cry from joy. When's that? You know, you don't get to experience that. Yeah. So that's great. I love that aspect of it, and that definitely motivates you, man. It's undeniable. So true. It's undeniable. Like, yeah, I wouldn't know how I'd perform without them. I'd like to think I'd do the same. But I think it's a bit of a pipe dream. I don't think I would. Yeah. I'd probably slow down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. We, we really saw that you were uh, – that was really the, – the 2018 mm. impact was really uh, a, a big flag to everyone to say Abdullah Zainab is a, is a, is a, <laughs> a talent yeah. at this long-distance solo yeah. uh, racing. Uh, because you finished it 800 kilometres uh-huh. in front of your next competitor. Yeah. Uh, you finished it in 14 days and it was just a, f- a few hours. Yeah, I, I think, think 14 so, yeah. days. Early morning. Hours. Yeah. 9 a.m. or something. But um, that was a record. Well, it was a record. In, it wasn't really a record because the, re- the year before how it got cancelled, the, the leader ended up stopping in, uh, I forgot the town, somewhere before Sydney. Yep. Christoph, yeah. Yeah. I, I was, you know, like for me it was, I found it like, 
I was wowed by the performance in itself, my own performance, not to sound arrogant, but I felt like, oh, maybe there's something here just because I followed that one. So I knew how quick he was covering it. And I knew that I was like, we were like in, within the same day. Like we're rolling into Sydney the same day. There's not much time difference between me, him and Mike. And, you know, so that's really what I thought, oh, maybe like I should try and pursue this a bit further. Because I put in effort for that. You know, I've been training for years, like not on the bike, but in general. So I knew that I could bring what I had learned from training to cycling, especially long distance, because it's not about, oh, is your FTP 400? Or can you ride in a bunch? It's just about being tough and, continue, and just continuing, which is just a human thing. And training definitely teaches you that even in, an, in a real acute way. So I just brought all of that to that, all that, everything I had ever done in my whole life, I brought to that race. So I wasn't, I didn't feel like when I went into that race, like, oh, I'm not trained relative to some of these other guys who are like fit. Like I felt like, man, I've been training for 24 years, you know, that's just myself, let alone my ancestors who I have the genes of, who have like, you know what I mean? So that's how I approach it. That gave me confidence just to, just to tear in half. Looking back physically or mentally train, I mean, obviously physically training, yeah. you have to train yourself. Of course, yeah. What What is more important to be at the, the pointy end? At the pointy end, you, I think you've got to be, Pointy, pointy, it depends on the race because the pointy end is, it will be dictated by the competitors. Now that Indy pack definitely had great competitors like Stefan and all those dudes, they're great competitors. But with my, phys, my physical fitness where I was at in the Indy pack, that wouldn't have got me through the Trans Am. No way. There's just no way. Like I would have, there's no way how fit I was in Indy pack would have carried me through the Trans Am. I would have been way slower. So at that time it was more mental for me. And just because of the train, the train, the train, you know, that side of the Indy pack, the train's not hard. I mean, it's completely flat. The training. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, oh, the, the terrain. The, the, the terrain. Yeah. So you can really just get away with sitting in that aero position and just doing like 25K an hour and just like, and just being mentally strong. And, th- and then my performance dropped off when I started climbing because that's when you, you know, the, you know obviously need to be a lot fitter and the training really comes into a, its own. So for me, Indy pack really felt like a real big mental exercise. But then Trans Am was the Trans Am didn't feel any. It was tougher mentally because it was physically demanding more, so it pushed me harder mentally. Like physically with the climbing and the speeds were higher. My body just broke down on me, man. So having to deal with that every day, just mentally, was just challenging. Yeah. What specifically? What was it? I mean, I remember uh, um, Rhino had knee issues. Mm. I had knee issues yeah. real bad and saddle sores. Yeah. A lot of people had saddle sores. Mm. A lot of people were shitting. I don't want to turn anyone off the podcast here, but a lot of people were shitting blood, including myself, because we were so dehydrated. Wow, that's crazy. It was blood, constant blood. That's crazy. So (laughs) there was, you know, there was a lot of that. You didn't have any of that? Oh, I did. I mean, specifically, are we talking about Trans Am or Indy Pack? It was uh, Indy Pack for now. Okay, Indy Pack. I'm I'm saving the Trans Am. Indy Pack, I had, uh, uh, because my training was really subpar. Um, you're like, I never did a double day in training. Like I never rode Monday and Tuesday. Like I was stupid, man. I would ride Monday, be so torn up. I'd ride Wednesday, be so torn up. I'd ride Sunday. And I followed that routine for 12 weeks. So when I got there, the idea of like riding Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that was foreign to my body. So I suffered like the most crazy inflammation. Like my, my whole lower body was one size. It looked like a tree, dude. Like my knee was the same size as my ankle. Like it, it was disgusting to look at. Like it was, yeah. so I was so inflamed that, you know, I couldn't even walk for the first, like for the first 10 days I was crawling, man. Like getting out of bed, I was like, I'd be thinking, okay, just make your way to your shoes and then make your way on the bike and then try not to tear a hamstring, like leaving the gas station. 
that was my big struggle at the start of IndyPak. And it kind of came good by the, uh, the point at the end of the race. So it was a lot of inflammation, knees and whatever. I didn't really suffer with knees and shoulders and no neck pain. I was really lucky. It was just crazy inflammation, just inflammatory pain. Um, and that really uh, was the whole brunt of it. Yeah, yeah. So let's get to the let's get yeah, to the yeah. Trans Am, which is the juice of yeah. You know, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is where again, as I said, I was sitting in my uh, you know in in my little hot, comfy home here with my hot showers and my bed, just looking at you dominating. And I, I watched the first day, mm. and you were so far in front it wasn't funny it was actually ludicrous mm. i thought he's bloody motor pacing or something but mm. so how many k's did you do on the first day well, the first 20 hours i covered 600 k's and then i had to sleep so 600 <laughs> kilometers yeah i mean there's there's a lot of people that can't even ride 600 kilometers when they go in one day just as a one-off effort yeah well you know what let, let alone mm. knowing that you've got 15 16 mm. 17 days ahead mm. of you i mean it was good wind it's quite hilly. Oh, was it good wind? It was good wind, but it was quite, it's about five and a half thousand meters of climbing. Yep. So it was challenging terrain. So the wind definitely helped. But we would, I had trained, man. Like I had trained for those speeds. I had trained for that type of climbing. I had, I had trained for that. So that wasn't, it's, it's to the view, to viewers, it would sound crazy, but that's conservative. You know, that's conservative. For some people, ride 35 hours in, in one hit. So I was like 600, yeah, cool, that's enough. Like, How many hours did you sleep? I sat probably three and a half that night. Three so, and a half in yeah. a hotel? In a hotel, yeah. I pulled into a hotel. Had a shower. Had a shower. Had wash, a did you wash your kit and stuff? I didn't wash my kit. Like um, I just rolled into the hotel, had a shower, got in bed, just woke up, continued. Like That's really how it went. How hard was it to wake up and get out of bed? You know what? It wasn't as hard as it was on the Indie Pack. Indie Pack, I was like, my whole thing was just like, dude, as long as you get your shoes on and get out the door, you'll be fine, man. You can cry when you walk out the door. You can do whatever you fuck. Just get out the door, man, and it'll work out. The hardest thing I found in pack was putting my shoes on. Once I put my shoes on, the world was my oyster. With this, I, 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 with the, like I said, with the training and the experience, like the first like eight or nine days, I, waking up wasn't that bad. I started at the end of it, like getting real like, oh, but, but I was very aware that that was crunch time. I wasn't like, I wasn't delusional. I was kind of fortunate in the sense that I could keep perspective on the whole race present at all moments in my decision making so like when i was just like man i'm getting i'm starting to feel bad like i could be like no nah, well it's all right dude you're in a race like you've been training for this like it means a lot to everyone it means a lot to you like you have to keep going there's no option so i was fortunate in that sense but first few days i got away with it man but then it just went downhill fast really yeah, yeah it went downhill quick <laughs> your your mental state went downhill no, physically it went downhill quick i just I remember that first that first day I pulled there was there's this climb this pass or whatever it's like it's, they call big climbs over their passes so just before the pass so it was probably 430k in and my stomach felt like what it did on Indy Pack like day ten but day one like I remember Indy Pack as I was going into the Sydney side mountains um, just outside of Victoria I had this diarrhea where I would just I would just shit water just this really thick clear liquid which you would expect because yeah. you're probably eating food you're not I, familiar i'm not with. sure but i had that day one so i pulled into this thing 430k in and i started having this water crap and i thought no way man this isn't happening to me now like <laughs> this can't be what it's going to be like so i had that diarrhea for like 10 days and that was just horrendous to deal with you know i had to throw in my bibs and i had to get new bibs and every it got to the point like every 15k I'd pull over take all my clothes off go to the, you know, take a shit in the bush, get back on, put everything back on, keep going. Like, and once I accepted that that was how it was going to be, it was right. 
But that was so tough. Bur- burning, yeah. So, you know, I don't want to gross everything out, but this is a massive part. This is a massive yeah. part of these ultra endurance events. Of it's course, yeah. Burning ring of fire. You're wiping your ass constantly. All of a sudden, you're sitting in the saddle. Yeah, it's you disgusting. You know, it's getting man. funky down there. And, yeah, it's and before disgusting. you know it, that's a big problem. Yeah. Oh, well, because especially because it's like, you know, you've got this clear liquid coming out and you're thinking, what is that? Is that water? Like, I didn't take a solid, I didn't take a solid shit for 10 days. I took my yeah. first solid shit after 10 days. You must have been immensely dehydrated. Well, maybe not 10 days. It was something like, it was something, I remember, okay, I'd have to work it out, but it was in Kansas because I was going into Kansas and my body was just like, I was riding with my pinkies at that point. My, I never experienced that much physical pain in my life. Like, I really thought, I just called my girlfriend and I said like, I'm going to make this next, like, We'll see if I make the next town, but I'm going to try anyway. So you had that much doubt. Oh, dude, it was – I didn't have – I had doubt in the sense that I didn't know if my body would hold up. I thought I was going to get injured. But I thought I'm going to make – if I make it to this next town, I'll sleep four hours. I got to that next town, slept four hours and had a solid shit. And that and once I had the solid shit, my stomach started improving. Right. And then it came worse at the end. Yeah. All right. So did you get to America prior with, with enough – time prior to sort of test and taste the food. Yeah, I mean, the food, I've been to America before, but never Central America. I, I went to, my friend lives in Colorado. Um, so I just went to Colorado two weeks before, spent a week with him and then went to Oregon and spent a week between the, the start of the race and Portland. And food's great there, man. Vegetable, whatever you want to eat, you can eat. So yeah. it's not really a good taste for food. So you're a vegan. Mm. Um, so obviously you were eating uh, lots of, I mean, let, let's talk about this, man, because yeah. you're going into – you're on the road. Yeah. You're pulling into service stations yeah. most of the time. And yeah. let's face it, in Australia, I know for sure the service stations are just absolute shite mm, food. Mm, mm. Uh, I know in Europe for a fact that the service stations, the, you know, the, the, the truck stops have fantastic wow. food. So Europe would be a great place, place to, to go do one of these events. Yeah. Um, but America, what was the food like? Terrible. What were you eating? I was eating terrible food, man. Um, like at the start, because you start in these kind of bigger, you know, areas like on the West Coast and the East Coast, you kind of go, th- America doesn't go through big towns. Like in Australia, you go through Melbourne, you go through Adelaide and these big towns. In America, you don't do that. You go through more smaller towns, you know, towns, 50,000 population, that's a big town maybe. So the food, I found the food terrible. Like when I was in these diners, I was eating hash browns and toast. That's what I was living off. And that was great, man. The hash browns, I was loving that. I thought, this is sick. I'd go in there and get 10, 12 hash browns, plates of hash browns, toast, oatmeal, order a whole restaurant, six cups of orange, just crazy. Like She'd look at me like I was crazy. Um, but in the in the gas stations, I found that was the worst because like you, you go to look and you're like, all right, cool, where's the hot food? Some places don't even have hot, hot food. You're like, all right, well, there's no hot food. I can't get chips here. So you go get a bag of chips and then you're like, all right, cool, Like I'll go get like, 10 cliff bars and you're like where's the fruit they might not even have fruit so you're like let me get like three things of sprite and mountain dew and i'll get that do you know what i mean and then let me go get some whatever type of sweet they might have that i can have and and that's really how you live and it's just i think that's what destroyed my stomach really yeah just no were, fiber were you using uh more sugary products or more fatty heavier well, I, calorie dense products the thing is like some places didn't even have oh they did but like for example, like I'd roll into a place like this is when an ideal place for me. Like I'll give you, I was in Kansas once. This is what I'm just remembering. Like I rolled in there, they had wedges, so I'd get like two bags of wedges, and then I'd get like five bags of nuts, and then I'd get heaps of Cliff bars, and then I'd get a bunch of sugary drinks. You know, so a combination. I found a combination is really what works. If I just stay on the sugar, I feel disgusting. I had moments, man. I don't even know what the, the body does. Crazy things, like almost like 
if I drank too much sugar, I'd have so much saliva, almost like my mouth was producing saliva to break down the, the carbohydrate almost. And I'd be dripped like, you know, I remember- Like a, like a dog, like a like rabbit Almost dog. like I, you're about to vomit. You, if people who have vomited will know, like who vomit will know, like before you vomit, sometimes you produce a lot of saliva, like almost like you're about to regurgitate this food. Like I pulled over one time to order Panera bread online and I just remember leaking like this saliva. On the floor. You're thinking about food. And bro. this girl's on the phone. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> give me that. Give me that soup. Give me that bread. I want that bread. I'm like, yeah, give me one sec. Like, you know what I mean? So that's um, uh, that's end up what's ha- that's the kind of weird things that end up happening. So yeah, sh- sugar. I found sugar is a, a problem because it's it goes huge. through you so quickly. Yeah, yeah. So you can't carry. I mean, you've yeah. got to carry. For food, example, uh, sugary snakes. You know mm. those those bloody snakes that you get. Yeah, that's a no no. You me. know that's a no no for yeah, me as yeah. well because you you've got to carry so many of them mm. to get you through to the next town. Yeah, yeah. That you're better off having the hash browns yeah. and, the, and the and the buttery yeah, toast for sure, which will get you further. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. less eating's a huge part of it. Like unless you've had a binge eating disorder in, in the past, like you 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 will suffer to a degree. Like I'm very good, especially from lifting weights and dieting before at eating maximum amounts of volume. And that's a big advantage. Like even now, like I could eat two kilos worth of vegetables and go for a run and think it's normal because I've done it for so many years. And a lot of people aren't like that. So it takes them five, six, seven days to work out. Like, dude, I need to eat like, so from day one, I'm eating like that. Like I'm rolling in there on day one, even with no apps on, I might give me 10 because I'm just, I've just worked out that's how it works. And, just try and when you stop, eat as much as I try and eat as much as I can, and um, that, you know that will get you fuel through a few hours and start eating again. But I found the skittles, the snakes, all that kind of stuff. It just ruins me, man. Especially the more tired you get, it's like you get more receptive to the sugar hit, and then you start feeling these crashes and burns, and like, and you don't want to have these ups and downs because you know how it is. Like you see the sunset, you feel like crying. Two minutes later, you're like, why am I here? Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens. And look, it's expensive too. I mean, crazy expensive. You know, yeah. It's crazy doing. A lot of people think that doing, a, you know, doing something like this is actually you do it on the budget. No way. Uh, the the oh, truth is, yeah. the truth is, when you're riding 15 to to 20 hours a day, mm. you're consuming so much food, and it's and it's at, at expensive truck stops and stuff. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. food's expensive. So we're talking three to five grand just in food. Probably, man. Would you I, say that? Yeah, probably. I would assume that. I mean, you're not really thinking about how much it's costing when you're getting food. You're just like, yeah. I need the food, man. Well, I suppose three to five grand in food and accommodation. Yeah, I mean, America's definitely, I found America cheaper for the food. Once you convert the price, it's not that much. Like if you were just looking at like the dollar and you were paying in American dollars, it's not, it wasn't like being on the Nullarbor. Like where I could, I could spend, two, I spent $200 at the Nullarbor once and one stop. Yeah. Do you know, like you weren't doing that out there. You weren't yeah. spending $200 in one stop where yeah. water was like $9 for a bottle. Yeah. That didn't happen. I, I vividly remember pulling into Mundrabilla mm. just before you Yeah, club. I know that place, yeah. Um, and, and we got in late. We'd, we'd had a headwind the whole day. So there was myself, Rupert, I can't, Tracking Jack, I think yeah, yeah. it was, and he was just a little bit further back. And we were strung out by yeah. 5Ks, 10Ks each. Yeah. Um, but I knew that I could see where they were on the tracker. Anyway, I just got into Mundrabilla. Mm. I think Rupert wrote, wrote about this in his book, yeah. uh, The Overlander. Oh, but, yeah, um, have you read that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he wrote about it and he said that, you know, I got there just as the Mundrabilla Roadhouse was closing. Yeah. So I spent about two, $300 on food. Wow. Just got everyone food. Oh, Every tracker good, that I could dude. see, I was like, yeah, yeah they're all going to make it. Yeah. And just bought everyone That's food. A, yeah. But yeah, it does get expensive, and I actually looked at my expenses for two thousand and seventeen. Oh, man, I think that. it was close to bloody three, three, between three and five grand. Australia is definitely more expensive. The hotels yeah. because in America there's hot spots with hotels like Yellowstone, West Yellowstone National Park. That's an expensive place. 
when you're going from Perth to Adelaide, it's like, well, there's like 10 days there for someone. It's like, that's 10 expensive hotels. They're yeah. all expensive. Yeah. Where in America, it's like, hey, this one's expensive. Well, too bad. Who cares? Move on. Like, you know? Yeah. So it's a lot more affordable. I found it a lot more affordable. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to the race. All right. Okay. So, so first day, in, <laughs> first day, we, we got to the first day. Yeah. First day in, you've done 600 Ks, uh-huh. you've had three hours sleep, uh-huh. you got back, somehow managed to pull yourself back out on the bike mm-hmm. the following day. Did you suffer from any saddle soreness or no. anything in those I didn't suffer from anything. Apart from that, di- that diarrhea, I didn't suffer from any physical issues yet. Yeah. And did you feel – so were you constantly keeping track of the, uh, the, the dots? No, I wasn't, the like, dots? I wasn't keeping track of the dots. Especially that first half, I don't keep track of it because it's just pointless. You know, at the end, once I realized I had such a big gap – that became kind of fun for me, but eventually it became like I didn't. I, eventually, you get so tired you can't even focus on that anymore. So you just just kind of shut off that kind of dot watching thing by the end of it because you just get too tired to focus on it. But I don't watch. I just stick to my plan, mate. It's just you know how it is. The whole thing of a race, it's kind of fo- it's kind of it's just like false. Like when you're out there, you're not thinking about oh, I am racing this dude. It's just you're just worried. Like man, I just want to survive. Like so, the whole idea of versing someone other than yourself is a fantasy, and I know that. And I know that I'm not going to waste energy looking at the track to find out this dude's 10K. It's just a waste of energy. I'd rather just spend well, my energy let, on myself. Let me, let me challenge you on that mm. because, you know, a guy that goes does 600Ks mm. goes to sleep for three hours yeah. and then gets up yeah. is racing. I'm racing, Because I yeah. can tell you now, yeah. if I did 600Ks yeah. on the Indy Pack, I'd yeah. be fucking sleeping for 12 hours and yeah. I'd let 20 people <laughs> pass me. Well, I'm <laughs> racing, but it's not – you know, I'm racing, but at this – I'm racing, but it's weird. It's a weird balance between I'm racing and I don't care about these guys other than the fact that I hope they do this safely. Do you know what I'm saying? Like definitely before the race, you're racing. When you're out there, it's about surviving. That's what it becomes. Like before you're like, yeah, I'm going to smash this thing. And that's how you set your plan up. So you're really just fulfilling your plan, which you set back at the time where your intention was, I'm going to demolish this thing. But then once you get out there, you're like, I'm surviving. I'm sticking to my plan. And that's what dictates the pace. I'm not letting these guys dictate my pace. Because if I was letting these guys dictate my pace, I'd just go slower and just sleep longer. Not yeah. to sound arrogant, but you know, like I, would, I wouldn't try and stretch out a massive gap. I'd just be like, well, I can sit here for a day if I want, just recover. Yeah. But I'm not, I just want to finish this and stick to my plan. Yeah. Well, you certainly did that. You, uh, if we look at the stats, um, you broke a record. Mm-hmm. So the tr- Trans Am's obviously been running a lot longer than the uh, Indy oh, Pack. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for, I think six, six years, seven years, something like that. Um, and, uh, you won it by a thousand kilometers. So the next person, the second place getter, yeah. um, 50 year old bloke called Keith. Yeah, he's I, a great I believe. dude. He's a freak athlete. Great, yeah. great dude. He came in second, 600 miles behind you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were you averaging a day? It was about like... The thing is, I think it's probably up in but in the four ten, four twelve, four thirteen range. That's how it works out, you know. Um, so four hundred kilometers a day. Yeah, over that, over that for sure. What about the headwinds? Did the headwinds affect? I had you? crazy headwinds. Yeah, I had. But the thing is, you can't do any. The thing is, man, like you can't. I know you can't do any. I know that things like that separate. They're key moments for me. When the conditions get tough, I know they're key moments. So as soon as the conditions get tough, I'm like, yeah, baby, it's a key moment. Here we go. Like into the unknown. Let's do it. Like so. You know, I had a few times where, like, I remember I was going into West Yellowstone. I turned, I was on the phone to my mum and I was going up this climb and I thought, man, I can't believe I just survived another night because every night just gets harder. And then you wake up, you kind of, the sun's rising. You just think, what just happened? Like, I can't believe I survived that night. That was hectic. Like, an hour ago, I was like, Ugh. so 
I went down this hill, got breakfast, and I thought, sick, I've got 100 k's to go to West Yellowstone. This is going to be perfect. Beautiful ride, beautiful scenery. I just turned this, made this right-hand turn, and I never had a worse headwind in my life, man. And I've had some bad headwinds on the Nullarbor. This was like, I was in the drops. Like, I, I felt like Caleb Ewan in the drops during this sprint, like kissing my front tire. I was going like 10k an hour, man. Sometimes I was going 8k. I was going down this hill, full like sprinting, just to go 11k an hour down a hill. And I stuck like that. Like, I did that 100k probably in like eight, nine hours. And that's, at the, that's after being awake for like 20 hours. So you're like, you go from being like, I've got, I'm going to finish this ride in under 24 hours to being like, oh, okay, now I'm going to be awake for like 26 or something, 27. You can't do, you just have to accept it. You're like, I, got, no, I can't. The only option is to go through. What are you going to do? Wow. You know, so you, you just like, well, the only way to get out of this is to go through it. I, I think this moment now in this conversation is mm. a key moment for anyone aspiring to be at the pointy end of one oh, of these yeah. bike races because this is where it's at because most people, mm. including myself, would probably probably stop and wait for the wind to clear the next day. I remember actually stopping yeah. and waiting for certain weather conditions yeah, to disappear that's a no-no. so that I could, you know, you know hot yeah. conditions or rain. Yeah. Um, You've just got to be equipped to go through anything. I mean, that's really what breaks, splits the, if you're looking at it from a competitive standpoint, these key moments split the race in half, man. And that's why it's so key to be like, I think from a strategic standpoint is to be with the front runners if you want to be a front runner and suffer whatever weather conditions they suffer, you suffer with them. Because if you're 200K back, like I had dudes who got, got snowed. They had snow on them, dude. I escaped the snow. I just got rained on for a whole night and that's it. They had crazy snow. Like, and, if, and they were all physically capable. They probably put limit, like there's dudes in there who, there's dudes in there who like before people tell me, oh, he rides in the pro peloton, he's done that, he's done that. And I'm thinking, cool. They were definitely physically capable. They just, if you want to be at the front, you have to stick with the front. And I think that's, well, that's what I learned from watching IndyPak in 2017 is that all those front guys who stayed at the front, they were riding together from the front from the start and they suffered the headwinds with each other and the tailwinds with each other. And when I did IndyPak, I, was, I had a gap to where I turned a left, I made a left-hand corner and I was doing 50K an hour, not even pedaling. While there was dudes like two, 300K behind, they couldn't ride because the wind was blowing them over. Do you see what I mean? Like if they had made that left-hand turn with me, we'd be, we'd be doing the same speed. Yeah. So it's kind of about staying in that front in that front pack from a strategic standpoint, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but with the wind, what can you do, man? You can't do anything. You just got to get over it. Like you, the thing is, it's not going to make it any easier, man. I guess the tailwind, yeah, psychologically, you think I got a tailwind, but it's like, cool, I still have to pedal my bike. I still got 6,000K left to go. I'm still going to be out here riding. Okay, cool. It's going to shorten my riding distance by two, two hours today. Big deal. Or I have to extend it for another three hours out of my 300-hour ride, 350-hour ride. Like in the scheme of it, it's nothing, you know? So to pay attention to the weather, I don't even pay attention to it. I don't look at the weather. I don't want to know about the weather. I don't want to know about the weather. Because imagine someone saying, okay, you're going to get to that top of the hill. I had this moment. You're going to get to the top of the biggest hill and descend, you know, 2,000 meters or whatever into a headwind. Like imagine someone told me that. Like it would have just affected my whole day climbing through the Rocky Mountains. I was happy that I climbed through the whole Rocky Mountains, went downhill and was like, man, I'm in a block, I'm in a block headwind now for the next, this is meant to be the bit where I relax, but now I have to pedal. So it just destroys your psyche, I think. That's a really good point, yeah. Mm. That's a Which you're trying to maintain yeah. the whole time. <laughs> That's exactly right, yeah. yeah. So it's a bit like the social media phenomenon. Yeah. phenomenon. Um, you know, if you stay away from it, it actually improves your, your, your mental health. Oh, it does. I mean, that's a fact, yeah. I, I definitely noticed that with social media in, in, in general, but definitely on the race, you're trying to maintain your, you're trying to maintain your mental health, man, the best you can. And, and you know, training definitely inc- will prepare you for that if you've trained 
I've noticed that when I trained correctly, it improved my mental capacity on the ride. I was able to handle more. Yeah. And that was reflected in the effort I put in. But that's, you know, you're really trying to maintain that mental health the whole time. And keep it in perspective because most people out there, they want to do it, man. But when you get out there, that changes very fast. And that's just, a, that's, that's, I feel sorry for someone who spends all that time preparing, gets out there and then is like, they, they get like debilitated by the voice in their head saying stop. It's like, of course that voice, it's, of course it's going to say stop. But if you haven't gone through the training and worked out that that doesn't mean anything, well then it becomes like an issue for you and you're like, why do I want to stop? I'm not motivated. Oh my God. You start dealing with that kind of thing. Well, that's all irrelevant. That doesn't mean anything, you know? <laughs> what did your training look like for the, for the Trans Am? It was, I, trained, I trained like about a year. I would say almost a year, maybe 11 months. I just did a really, I knew my, my problem was that I'm not consistent with cycling. So I just knew, okay, I learned my lesson from IndyPak that you need to ride most days. You need to be out there most days, multi-days, like ride Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, take a day off Thursday, ride Friday, Saturday, take, you know, there has to be back-to-back days, hard rides. So I really just built up very gradually. Like I remember for the first like eight weeks, I was just doing like eight hours a week, nine, but consistent. Like I was very meticulous with being consistent. Like I do 10 hours a week for like two months and do 14 hours a week for two months and do 16 hours a week for like three months. And then at the pointy end, like I was talking with my friend, his name's Sam McCallum, like I have a tendency to do too much. And he was like, look, what you should do is like try and do this like three week on, one week off, you know, build up yeah. to it. And I was like, all right, cool. I've got given myself enough time to um, prepare. So why not try it? You know, it sounds odd to someone to think that resting is hard. You know, they think, oh no, how can resting be hard? But, you know, if you're extremely passionate about something, resting becomes hard, yep. you know, you end up doing too much. So I was just working on that three on uh, one week, relaxing really schedule in the, most, in, in the most biggest athletes, phases. Most athletes overtrain mm. than undertrain. Yeah. And most good athletes. Yeah, I, that's what I've noticed with the, the best athletes I've hanged out with is that they just do too much, man. That's yeah. not their problem isn't doing the work. It's like relaxing, switching off. So that three week on, one week on thing that – um. That was perfect for me. And I just built on, in the, in the tense phase, I just built on the hours. Like one week I did like 20, 20 hours, 25 hours. Like I never went over 30 hours, which sounds like a lot, but in ultra, some people do 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, man. So I was more focused on quality. Like I'd go out there and ride quick because I noticed on IndyPak, I just got slow after day one. I couldn't reproduce the effort. So I thought, go out there, ride quick. And then, you know, I just started focusing on climbing, just like every day go out and climb. And I had some, I had some training sessions that paralleled like how hard riding that thing was, man. I, I still remember moments in training that I just thought this is too much for me, man. Like just like going up, you know, like crazy weeks in training, man. And no one knows, and they don't, you know, it's not like it's a, it's a race. Like you go out and do 4,000 meters of climbing on Monday, 4,000 climbing on Tuesday, 4,000 on Wednesday, take it off, do four, another four, another four. By the end of it, like I was using my biceps to go up climbs. And you're just like, it's like a war of attrition, you know, like you're like every fiber in your body struggling to get up a climb. Like, Were you having sleep outs on those training no, sessions? No, I wouldn't do that. The thing is for me, I know I can, I can do this, the low sleep thing. Yeah. So I'm trying to approach it, this whole event and get them, want to get the most out of my training, recover the most I can, go in there hundred percent because ultimately that's going to go down to like zero. So I don't want to go in there like eight, 50% because I try to do three hours sleep to get used to it. You're just going to get tired. I just kind of knew like, okay, I know I can handle low sleep. Like I know that's a thing. I know I can do that. I don't need to try that. Now it's just about getting quick and being able to reproduce the effort day in, day out to have the performance I wanted, which was cool. The train, I think the training was imperative, man. 
Yeah. Like without did you train. train on your own or did you have someone to train with? I trained by myself. You know, like I would go out on maybe a Sunday and ride with a couple of mates. Like in Melbourne, I wouldn't ride with anyone because I don't really know anyone to ride with. So like I was doing these long rides in Melbourne by myself. Like I'd go out to Arthur's Seat, do laps of Arthur's Seat, come back, stuff like that. But then a couple of months before I went to Adelaide, because Adelaide's got great, where my mum lives in Adelaide, it's so close to the climbs. I could go out and do, you can go out and do, you know, half an Everest and do like 100K if you pick hard climbs. And that was like, I need to be there. So I went there and that's what I was doing. And then on Sunday I'd ride with mates. You just got to get used to it by yourself. Like it's a shock if you ride in group rides and you go out, you know how it is. You, go, you do group rides and you go out in your middle of nowhere. It's like, oh, who do I talk to? So to be able to do all those hours by yourself, it's just preparing. It's like mental programming. You're just like programming your mind that this is how it is. Yeah. So when it gets out there, it's like, oh, we'll run the program. We've been trained to, to run. Yep. So um, Christoph, the winner of the Indy Pack, yeah. 2017, uh, has never ridden the Trans Am. Uh-huh. Uh, it has to happen. It has to happen. We have to somehow rally anyone who's listening to this podcast. Yeah. We need to at um, uh, Christoph. Christoph, and we need to rally you guys for the for the two thousand. I couldn't do that route again. I'd okay. ride. I'd, I'd ride with him. I don't want to say against him because it sounds so sinister. Like I'd do an event with that he's in. I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd love to see. I mean, look at the end of the day to see you two guys, the best in the sport, yeah, go head to head. Uh, you know, throw Jesse Carlson and uh, oh, there's Sarah. There's so many people who are on that level, yeah. You know, and there's a, and there's a few others that mm. are on that level. Um, I mean, you know, if we look at okay, let's look at some of the the times over the last few years for the Trans Am. You know, Peter Anderson. I don't even know. He's I would love to dude. know this guy. He's I would an love to. Guy. It's just like he's probably just a. I never talked to him. I've talked to him on, online, but he's just like a down to earth freak athlete, dude. Yeah. I know he's a freak athlete because that race broke me in half. Yeah. So and to, to get, see him do that, like. It scares me to think that he could have done that time and not been as broken as me. Like imagine if he was just like, yeah, whatever, man. It was just a hard ride. Like I was destroyed, dude. You I were was, broken at the end dude, of Dude, I couldn't eat the last 10, 5K to the finish line. I was like shitting my pants. Like I could, I thought this is the hardest thing I've ever done, man. Like, well, I'm, of course it is. I'm so broken. Like, last, But that was satisfying to me because I was like, cool. Like I've left everything on there. Yeah. I've left everything out there. So I'm good. Like. But the fact, it just, it just scares me to see him do that time and like not know how how hard he had to go. Yeah. I mean, this is part of the frustration of the lack of media coverage yeah. for this event mm. and, and events like this. You know, Pete Anderson, we don't even know who he is. I've seen no media coverage whatsoever. Yeah. Not cycling tips, not cycling yeah. news. I haven't seen anything. Yeah. And I may be wrong. There may be something. But it's absolutely appalling to yeah. see that there's been no media coverage about yeah. su- such a, a, a record-breaking achievement. Yeah. I mean, I don't How really, do you feel about that? I mean, you know, like I don't really – because you do a lot of the stuff by yourself, it's just like whatever to you, you know. But I put myself now like in the perspective of someone else. Like I don't think about my – this – like for me, it's, it's I don't really care. And it sounds crazy, but it's just it's just whatever. I've just done this ride and it was hard. And I, it, I, was, I was fortunate enough to do – I'm just really – was just fortunate to be able to do the training, fortunate to be able to do the ride. And I, it's just cool experience on the life resume for me. But it's not something I sit there and just meditate on and think, wow, like – but I sometimes, in in regards to talking about it and sharing about it, I just put myself in someone else's shoes and think, damn, I'd like to hear about that if that was... Yeah. Like, there's some course, dude... Like, I've been excited dude, to hear I know people who can't ride 68K down Beach Road. Like, if I was him, like, I'd love to hear about that. Like, I want to know how to go further. Mate, I want to know how to continue. Like, that's that speaks to all humans, like, just how to con- persevere. Like, so, you know, yeah. that's why, like, I'm, I'll, I, like, I don't like talking... I like talking about it, man, but not, like... 
you know, you get sick of hearing your own voice, but at the same time, I'm like a, a conscious of the fact that like it's it's it should be heard because it can help yeah, someone. Absolutely, it can, like, it, it can expire, inspire people to get on the bike and do do their own challenges. Yeah, for sure, like you know, um, you know, I follow the cycling subreddit. Do you ever yeah. watch Reddit? You ever no, get no, on no, Reddit? No. I mean, I follow a bit of you know cycling stuff on Reddit. And, uh, you know, you see people doing 16 kilometres and stuff commutes and, and for them that's a big thing. Mm. Uh, and then you look at something like this, I think it's worthy of what you've yeah. done of discussion. Yeah. And so I'm really surprised that the, the mainstream media, cycling media hasn't jumped on it. But, uh, but look, going back to, you know, getting the, the, the super, the Uber race together yeah. for next year. Uh, at one of the events, IndyPack, whether it be IndyPack yeah. or, uh, or or one of the one of the big events, mate, to have you, Pete Anderson, even Leia Wilcox, yeah, she's a, she's crazy, she, she's a machine, Jesse, mm. how good would it be? It'd be good. I mean, the thing is, it takes so long to like. The thing is, you spend so much time by yourself, you spend so much time preparing that you know other people don't. They don't really come into the equation too much. For me now, it's not about being. I don't see it like oh, like I need to beat this guy to like feel like you know like I'm on top. Like I would just think about it. Like I need. To, I want to take my. I know there's more performance left in the tank. Like I know that, and that's like what I'd focus on. Just like I need to. I want to see how far I can take it in a safe way. Like just out of curiosity for your own potential. What What was the safety like out on the road at the Trans Am yeah. in comparison to the Indy Pack? I think, I think the Trans Am. Oh, the Trans Am was longer, so there's more opportunity just for bad circumstances. Like safety like, like there's several things in america like you got wildlife like the wildlife in america is crazy man like you got bears you got dogs you got you know you run into a bear you run into a dog that's one thing um but the cars were pretty good i found it to cover 6800k in that short amount of time like if you commuted 6800k you'd probably have a run in with the driver but it might take you three months for, it might take you half a year you know what i'm saying like on a regular training load like someone who in half a year they're they're gonna have a run in with the driver most likely just from being out there so, you know, I got hit by one car. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I got hit by one car. That's about it. But she, she, like, I kind of felt bad for the girl because the sun was coming up and she said she couldn't see me. She clipped me from behind. It was a shock, man. But like... So she was going slow? No, she was just driving regular speed. She just clipped my handlebar on the side like because she couldn't see me. So I just... But I was like motivated by the crash, man. Because I picked up my bike and I just thought, wow, this thing's in one piece. Like, it's my destiny to finish this bike ride. She, she wasn't doing 100 kilometers an hour. No, no, just in a suburban, like on a main road. Like, you'd be like, you just going down yeah. St. Kilda Road and someone just clipping your handlebars. You know, so, but I I kind of liked that to a degree when it happened because I thought, wow, like, my bike's in one piece. It's a sign, yeah. you know, but so the safety was pretty good. I have to admit, it was pretty good, but I didn't have any bad safety moments in Australia either. Yeah. A few beeps, a few horns, it's like, whatever. Nothing to really stress about. Nothing really. I didn't really feel like my safety was jeopardizing with people or yeah. wildlife I was a bit scared of, but Did you see any bears? Yeah, I ran into two bears. Like um I came out of West Yellowstone, I was going up this pass and there was this sign, dude. I saw this sign and it said like beware of bears, like on an electronic sign. And I just thought it's just a sign, man, whatever. Like But then I was going, some dude pulled up next to me, he's like, There's a bear right there, man. And I was like, What? I was on the phone to my mum. I was like, gotta go, bang, hang up on the phone. And there was this like bear like right there. And I was like, oh wow. Dude. It was probably creeping up on you. Dude, no, but he told me it was like this was like a this bear was just looking at the floor doing its thing. And I just thought, cool, man. So I just went across the road, continued. The next one was a bit more scary because I was going up the road and I started seeing cars pull over. And I thought, man, that dude who pulled over before, like when cars pull over, there's like a bear. So all these cars are pulling over, and there was this like, I just look up and there was this big grizzly bear and its babies like just walking across the road. 
So I was like kind of stood on the side because people like don't ever look a grizzly bear in the eye, dude. It's going to come kill you. So I was like staring on the side of like, like, like that, like looking at this grizzly bear. <laughs> and eventually like you're in such a, a state like that you're like, dude, get out the way. Like I've got to continue climbing this pass, man. Like I need, I need to move, bro. Get out. You know, and he's taking his time. And I just kept thinking, like, don't look at this guy in the eyes with his babies. And everyone's like, as soon as you see babies, man. It's How do you know it was a guy? Could have been a mother. Oh, whatever. But <laughs> as soon as they say, like, if there's babies, like, yeah, prepare. They, they come they, they're going to kill you. They're very so I was, Yeah, so I'm like, don't even look at this guy. But at the same time, I'm like, move, man. So then they crawl over the side of the road. You're kind of sitting there like, well, do, like, do I continue? Like, is he going to see me? And you're going uphill too. Because they're like, fast. Yeah, they're they like 60K fast. an hour. And I don't yeah. want to ride back up the hill. <laughs> I was thinking in my head, like, I don't want to ride down and have to ride back up because of this guy. Yeah. You know, so just, yeah, that, that was, but that's good experience seeing the bears. Like, I would rather see the bear than not see the bear. It's Isn't part that, of the experience. Yeah, it's a part really. of the whole journey. You feel like you're in a movie with bears and pit bulls chasing you and just yeah. crazy, you know, like, yeah. that's a part of the fun. It makes the element of uh, danger a lot, lot more, uh, yeah, a lot, lot more thrilling. Yeah, it focuses you. You definitely focus harder. Yeah. You're trying to escape. Yeah. You, so you didn't find the snakes and stuff in Australia across the Nullarbor? I didn't find problem? any of that, yeah. Thing is, they're probably there. You just don't see them, dude. Like, I didn't see that bear. I would have rode straight past that bear. And someone would be like, you see a bear? I'd be like, no. Nah. In Australia, you're probably standing right next to a stake. You don't, you're just like, well, you don't even see it. Yeah. Let's talk about equipment. I okay. noticed you were riding an S-Works, specialised S-Works. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, you get a lot of people riding their titanium bikes uh -huh. and, and uh, whatnot. How did you find the carbon fibre I found it perfect. S works. And was there a reason you were riding that bike? Did no, I thought, like, the thing is, I did that indie pack on the trek, right? My, that, my girlfriend bought me that trek. It's a cheap, it's just an entry level trek with Ultegra on it. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I didn't ride on this trek. Like, and, I, you know, equipment makes a difference. But I, and I thought, yeah, let's, like, let me get this, let me see. Like, I felt like I was qualified now to make an upgrade because I was like, I know I can do the distance. I know I can put in the time. I know I can put in the effort. I thought, let me get a, let me get this bike. And, um, did See, you think about getting a titanium sort of... No, I didn't. You know, I've always liked the S-Works. I was looking for bikes. Yeah. And then it just hit me one day. I just thought, man, I like S-Works bikes. You know, like I like the look of that bike. Yep. So I got it and I just specced it out, you know, like with what I what I just dreamt of. I was like, put Envy wheels on it. Disc, disc, disc brakes? Yeah, disc brakes. Like, all that kind of... I just thought, whatever, whatever. Like I would have got DI2. It was just too expensive at that point. But I was like, yeah, boom, chuck it on. Let me see if it works. I can't believe that bike held up, man. I can't yeah. believe the wheels are still in one piece. But I didn't find any... I found it, I didn't find it the most comfortable bike. To be honest with you, like it's crazy to say, I found my Trek a bit more comfortable. I don't know, I don't know much about bikes and geometry and the way they're shaped and what's more comfortable. I love the S Works. I'd do it again on the S Works. I wouldn't do it on the Trek, but it's hard to say because I was also riding harder and I was more in pain. So comfort's kind of a, but I found the carbon fiber perfect, man. So you found even with the extra weight that you were carrying, the mm. bike wasn't flexing. Uh, did you feel as it was a nah, bit more spongy? No, I felt, you know, I was a bit worried about it because I'm looking at the wheels thinking like the, um, they say like 120 kilos, like the safe load. I'm thinking like I'm 90 kilos, you know, plus everything on my bike. That's probably like, my bike only weighed 12 kilos, you know. So chuck maybe eight kilos worth of stuff, you know, six kilos worth of stuff. I'm over 100, you know, we're over 100 now. So I kind of got worried about that. But at the same time, you don't worry about things like that. You're thinking if it snaps in half, cool. You know, sometimes you want it to snap in half, but it doesn't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're looking at your wheels like snap, dude. Like I want you to snap. Like, so, I want you to snap you so know, this can be over. Yeah, but it never yeah. does. But, you know, the opportunity is there to keep going. Unfortunately, uh, now yeah. I can say fortunately, but sometimes you're just thinking, man, like this is getting too hard. I wish the wheels would break. But um, <laughs> no, I'm surprised it held up, man. Yeah, I can't believe it held up. 
Uh, especially after that crash, I just thought, wow, these are strong wheels. Yeah, right. Okay, and no, no broken spokes or Nothing, anything? Nothing, man. They're yeah, still yeah. tight as. Very, very, very like, lucky. It's, it's pretty crazy when I think about it now. Yeah, no punches? Yeah, I got like probably four or five punctures and, you know, like but magical stuff happens on rides like that. Like you'll have like four punctures and go through a tire and then you turn a corner and someone will be like, let's go for a ride, I've got a tire. You know, so yeah. stuff like that happens, like, and I'll be like, "Oh wow, cool!" Like, thanks. Yeah. You know, so I got heaps of punctures. I had to change my tire. I changed my tire twice. Once actually, yeah, once. And um, apart from that, no other mechanicals except I had to bend my. I had to play with my discs because when I got hit by that car, the disc brake bent. The brit they were out of true or whatever. So I was just bending that back with my hands, really. And um, so that was it. It worked out too well, really. That's pretty. You're pretty lucky, aren't you? I was lucky. You man. didn't give put the bike in for any servicing or anything like that. Any any. No, I didn't do. It. I mean, I went to one bike shop, Newton Bike Shop. It's like a it's like a famous bike shop on the route. Um, and he just changed my stem. I got him to change my stem from 100. It was 110 mil stem, and I went down to 90, just because I was having so much hip pain. Um, and anytime I rotated my hips forward, like as if you were going to go into the drops or like into the TT, that when I closed my hip angle down like that. I was just getting these radiating shooting hip pains like up the side of my back. and cr- So I was like, I was trying to, I talked to my, this dude called Stewie, he does bike fit. And he was like thinking maybe if we shortened the, the reach, like I'd be more upright, obviously, but my hip angle would be more open. And that worked heaps well. So I just flipped out this stem, put a 90 mil stem on it, chuck a new chain on it. Just kept going, man. Yeah, that's a, that sounds like the go. Yeah, I'm surprised, you know, like I was, cha- I changed heaps of stuff on that ride. I was changing my saddle height every now and then. Because I was in so much pain, I was like, you've got to try. Like, yeah. And you know when you have an idea and like it just hurts to have an idea and not try it? So I'd be trying it, like dropping my saddle height. But then eventually I just thought this is how it is. It's going to be this painful no matter what you do. Lift it, drop it, like put it this way, put it that way. It's going to be hard anyway. You just have to deal with it. A lot of people uh, f- f- get – when their hands are on the handlebars for so long, oh, they, okay. get, they get that uh, numbness in yeah, their yeah, yeah. little fingers. Mm. And I actually had it when I did the Adelaide ride. I had numbness in my little fingers for about six weeks afterwards. For sure. So did you get any of that? I didn't get any. The numbness in the fingers, like this one I didn't. Indie pack I did. I did get numbness on the fingers. But for this one I didn't. Like um, I was, But I was more con- – that one I was kind of ignorant. I didn't really – you know, I just did that ride. I just thought, oh, cool, I'll try it. And I was doing crazy – like I was, wasn't changing my hand position much and – with this one, I was changing my hand position a lot more, just knowing that like, trying to maintain my hand health, like not get numb hands and sore. Your hands just get sore and fat and just disgusting, man. Yeah. So I was just moving my hands. I, I'd even ride no hands for some bit. Just every like now and again when I thought about it, I'd change my hand position, which made a heaps big difference. I didn't get any numbness. Yeah. But before, before when I was training, I was getting numbness. Yeah. Like in the build-up, I was getting crazy numbness. I think it's the combination of having the drops that you mm, can put your elbows down for to take sure. the pressure. Uh, you know, for example, the Adelaide ride, we didn't have time trial bars. So you we were on the those. handlebars. Yeah. So I think time trial bars Key. for – and I don't mean a proper t- – like a pro time trial position. Yeah. You don't need to get down so mm, low. Mm, mm. But to have bars where you can just lean forward and put your elbows on them for, for a sure. sustained period of time, I think that's where it's at for yeah. long-distance riding. I mean, I don't think you needed – I think that whole – Drop low, elbows touching. That's outdated, yeah. I think, in this kind of genre. I don't think people do that anymore. Definitely in this genre. For, for, for pro racing, yeah. it's important because they yeah. need to be as aero for, yeah. for every second. Yeah. But for this sort of thing, just to be in yeah. a, a relative yeah. low mm. position. Mm. But the main thing is that you're resting your elbows. Oh, for sure. Do you want as much – in my head, I'm thinking I want as much real estate on that front bar to put my hands anywhere. Yeah. Like on the hoods, on the drops – on, put my hands on the TT bars, like on the pads, 
and have even different positions on the on the um, TT bar to move my elbows into. Because yeah. if you have because if you have one position, eventually you can't ride one. You can't you know you can't sit in a chair for two weeks without getting sore. Like so, you need to have multiple positions to maneuver into that um you're comfortable in. If you don't have them, man, it's like what are you going to do? Yeah. Is so you need the t- I I there was dudes who did the race I did without TT bars. Yeah. I'm looking at them like what are you doing, man? Like you just, you know, like you just show yourself in the foot, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. okay, maybe when you're at home training and stuff, but you know, in two days you're gonna be looking at yourself thinking, I need TT bars, man. Yeah, but it's you. It's a disadvantage. It's, it's a huge. disadvantage without it's huge TT dis- bars, it, dude. It's huge without TT. I would. It, and you save a lot. Okay, aero doesn't matter, but it's like, well, it does matter. It's a six thousand eight hundred k ride. Like, if you're saving, like if I'm saving, on that first day, right? That's a pretty good example of how, of of when you're riding at a speed where aero makes a difference, right? I could have saved like between the wheels, the aero bars and my position, I could have saved minutes, man. That's huge. That's like sometimes you're going into a gas station, literally filling up your bottles, stuffing your jersey full of food and rolling out. That's, it, it could be literally like almost eliminating that stop virtually. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like just by the aero savings. Yeah. So it's not something I'd put on top of my priority list, like in terms of, okay, let me think about aero before, you know, I go do a 100K ride in training. But once you've got everything stacked on top, like it's 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 just a marginal gain you can think about, and that's yeah. what I was thinking about. I was like, got everything in place. Like, let me think about my position and my shoulders and how much time I can save on this thing, so I can rest more. That's right. You might still uh, not save time. Like, you save time on the bike, but then you can sleep. Yeah. And, and talking about the rest of the gear on your bike, yeah. I mean, I remember you know all the stuff that I carried for the Indy Pack. Um, you, I remember discussing with you where you were doing the videography. Yeah. We talked about Christoph mm. and that he had a hidden sleeping for sure. Yeah, you know, apparatus. Like, a, like what was it? A sleeping I apparatus. Know what it was. I asked him to show me. It looked like a full blown tent, dude. So it's pretty bizarre because when we looked at his bike, there was and when we took off from Fremantle, yeah. there was nothing. I on think the that bike. tent was literally most of his things. So the question is, did you at all sleep on the side of the road? And yeah. did you take anything? Yeah, I did. I mean, I didn't. I, I took basically just spare tubes and like weird things. Like I don't take anything I can't use. Like I'm not going to take a spoke because I don't know how to put a spoke on. I mean, the, the, I took a, a something for the chain, like a chain link, but I don't know how to change a chain. And that's just there for my mental health. So I take everything that makes me feel comfortable because I want to feel confident. Because in the middle of nowhere at night, when you're making that decision, like okay. I got another 150K. It's like 2 a.m. up this climb. I don't know anything about it. Like you don't want anything to get in the way. Like, okay, what about my cleat? Okay, or what about – you just want to feel completely confident and just go – just get over that mental hurdle of not knowing what's going to happen. That's all you want to be there, not my tire or my cleat, whatever. So I bring everything that makes me feel confident and makes me make good decisions. So that's like a tube, a spare tire, tire levers, a multi-tool, really minimal spare parts. You know, um, but in terms of clothes, I basically just have one set of clothes, man. A rain jacket, wind jacket, gloves. So you didn't have any casual kicking around? No, no, no casual, no casual gear. I mean, I had emergency, I had an emergency bivy, and um, I ended up using that probably earlier than I thought I would. Maybe three or four days in, I was coming into Kansas. I was just hell tired, and I just was. I just remember thinking, man, I need to get a twenty minute nap. This is getting too much now. Like I'm getting too, too tired. You can't. You have this moment where you go like, "No, this is too much now, man." Like I'm starting to. The trees are starting to look like people. You know, they start looking like they have claws, and you're like, you're going like five k an hour anyway. So I'm like, boom, pull her on the side of the road, get the emergency bivy out, get into it. But they're they're crap, man. They're the like, fo- I, they're, are they the foil ones? Yeah, the foil one, dude. I'm in there sweating, and then like, okay, boom, twenty minutes later, rip out this thing. I just tear a massive hole in it. So I'm like, I stuff it in my jersey, and then I just toss it because I'm like, I don't need this thing, man. I don't care about this thing, because in America they got so many churches. They call it like the Bible Belt. 
like this like whole row of just churches, like every kilometer and they have porches. So after that, I kind of started falling in love with napping, man. So I'd be like to myself, I'd do 12 hours of riding, have a meal. And then I'd be like, all right, cool. Like I'm gonna do another four and have a nap. And then after four hours, I'd pull into like a church and just lay down on the veranda. Just like, just like on the veranda 20 minutes, wake up, go again. Like, and you sleep so perfectly. The best sleeps I've ever had have been on these verandas. Like, really? You start end up having like these crazy REM, like you have a REM cycle in like a 10, 20 minute nap now. I know, I know the power of 20 minute naps. I, mean, I never experienced that. Like I would go to have this nap and like it got to the point at the end, like I'd have a dream during this nap and I'd wake up like, I just slept 12 hours, man. Yeah. I, could get on with it. I, I totally agree with you. Like this is amazing. I mean, I've actually slept 12 hours, 12 hours and felt like absolute tripe. Whereas I've, I've slept many times mm. for 20 minutes during well, the day. I don't know. Yeah. Just after a ride, you know, do a three, four hour ride, yeah. come home, sleep for 20 minutes. Mate, feel on top of the world. I don't know what it is, man. I think especially when you're in that state of just extreme fatigue, like you, your body must do some crazy, crazy stuff in that 20. The fact that I was having dreams by the end of it in these 20 minute naps like i thought my body's doing some serious work now man like it's just like all right cool we got 20 minutes like just go through the priority list like what's the most important let's kick start ticking down doors you know and then after you know like once you have had more multiple hours of sleep you know you go down, it goes down the list even more it just gets worse anyway yeah you know it just yeah. gets terrible i remember jesse carlson telling me that uh, he went on a ride they were doing a one-day ride straight over to adelaide yeah the first time he ever did it with Sarah Hammond, yeah, just teaching her the ropes, <laughs> teaching, and, yeah. uh, and she did the same thing. She laid down. He made her lay down for twenty minutes and have a twenty-minute nap. Yeah, and she was on top of the world after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's weird because it you get work. to this place where, like, I find that for me, like, I get to a place where I almost get scared of napping. Like, so I, but after a few days, like, there's no escape, man. I couldn't escape it. Like, I started napping way earlier than what I thought I would, but that just the the time I was wasting mentally trying to not nap was you know it was just it was slowing me down more than what it would be if i didn't nap so i thought i'm losing here don't worry about taking a nap dude pull over in this cubicle sleep for 20 minutes get up you're gonna be better off and once i started noticing the benefit of it man i was like dude this it became way simpler i didn't have to stay up for 24 hours anymore i was like cool i can i can stay up for 15 have a 20 minute nap that to me that's a sleep now and my days just got way easier that in that regard yeah. so i love the naps man yeah so you're talking about the church belt yeah uh, where was that I think it's like after Kansas, you're going through like uh, Kentucky and these like crazy, like you're like in a different world in Kentucky, man. Yeah. You know, so like you're going through, uh, I forgot what the other one is. There's this Missouri, Missouri and Kentucky, crazy terrain, like the most crazy terrain I've ever ridden. Hilly. Oh, crazy hilly. I was doing massive days there. Like I was doing 5,000 meters, you know, multiple days. Like even towards the end, there was a few days where it was like 7,000 meters, 7,500 meters. No way. Yeah, just because it's just up, man. It, the thing is, it doesn't gain too much. Like you don't gain 2,000 meters. You gain like 100, go down 100, go up 100, go down 100. Like it's just rollers for like 1,000 Ks, just like boom, like that. Something you can't even imagine in your mind. Like you have to see it to believe it. Like literally, like someone's just done that for like a whole state. So, so like the Adelaide, I've ridden the Adelaide Hills. So like the Adelaide Hills just constantly. Not up. that big though. Not like it big. would be like, think of just a big rise in a suburban area. Yeah. Like you can think of one of those hills, right? Yeah, yeah. Literally just like stacking up and down like that for like a whole state, you know? And and, and it gets harder, man, because the climbs get more steep. You can't use small, like you, in Colorado, like, you know, you can go up a 5% five, gradients. You know what I mean? Like you can chill. In these ones, you're in the smallest chain ring, in the you know, small chain ring at the front, smallest, chain, smallest ring in the back, smallest cog, whatever. And... um you're like grinding. You're like physically tensing your whole body to get up these climbs. And you've done like 5,000K. 
And you're just thinking like, I wish I had a power meter or something. I would have loved to see the power because like you're probably doing something ridiculous, dude, just to get over these climbs, standing for hours, like out of breath, like, you know, it's 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 cool in the sense that you just don't care anymore. We might have to get stages to sponsor you next next. Like week. you know, like it's cool because you just think like I don't. You just lo- you lose. I you know you lose all caring. You're just like, I don't care anymore. Like, yeah. I'll stand four hours, sit for four hours. What gear ratio did you have? I had a thirty four on the back. Thirty four. I trained with a twenty eight. So uh, on the front, just uh, mid compact. Yeah, mid, that's what I. That's what I. I trained with a small. I, I deliberately trained with a smaller gear ratio on the like a harder gear ratio on the back. So when I got out there, like I was in the 34, I was like, this is sick, dude. Yeah. You know, like this is an easy gear. Well, it wasn't easy by the end of it, but at the start I, I wasn't using any of those gears, like which was amazing. So the training really paid off, man. Yeah. Tra- yeah. Training's key. Training's key, man. Yeah. Especially not just when, when I say training, I don't mean like it's not like you get the mentality from training. That's the thing. You get a test run. The training gives you a test run. I think the biggest thing with training and what I'd say to anyone is that you've got to, I trained enough. I was very conscious that like, I was lucky because I'd done things before and been extremely, before IndyPak, I had lifted weights and stuff enough to the point where I got over it and trained for like two years. So like, like I train, I would train for like two years and hate lifting weights, but I still went because I knew it was the right thing to do. And then after two years, I suddenly enjoyed it again. I started falling back in love with it, but I was like sick. I've been, at least I was consistent this whole time. So I knew, I was like, dude, I knew that you can do things and not enjoy them and still do them, which was like revolutionary to such a young age for my mind. I was like, sick. Like, you don't have to enjoy things to do them. Cool. Or your mind can be telling you, don't do this, you're a loser and you can continue. Like, that's like, it's like some sort of mind hack. So for the Indie Pack, it was so short. This is what, it was so short that it didn't test me mentally. The training, 12 weeks doesn't test you. You're motivated for 12 weeks. You're inspired for 12 weeks. By the time you get uninspired, the race is there. For IndyPak, uh, for Trans Am, I trained long enough to the point where like you get over it naturally, you know, because you're going out 18 hours, 20 hours a week, day in, day out, whatever weather, by yourself, nobody cares. It's just you. You're getting the benefits out of it, whatever, but eventually you get over it. It's just natural. So you would do, I would do two or three months or two months or whatever of like big hours and you go out and do 20 hours a week, 28 hours a week, 30 hours a week, big rides and you're not enjoying and you're and you're sitting there thinking it's just, you don't want to do it anymore but you get those two months where you don't want to do it, but you do it anyway. So it's like, it's like a lesson. Do you know what I mean? Like you unlock and it's like unlocking another level. You like get, you build up enough fatigue and then you achieve this new level, which unlocks a new mindset. And then you take that to the race. So now when you're racing, you're like, I don't want to do it no more. It's like, well, cool. I've done that for like five years. Or you're like, I've done that for two months. Like yeah. I know it's possible to continue. Yeah. So you, you gain these like little, you know how you just learn lessons through cycling or whatever, like you might learn after two years and it takes two years worth of experience to achieve, to, to, to get to that lesson and come to terms with it. The training cycles like that too. Like you might go through six weeks to realize one thing and then you go through another four months to realize one thing. And, and, and that's why it has to be so drawn out so you can really extrapolate all the lessons you can out of it and take that with, that becomes like your tool set, you know, because in the race, there's so many things that come up. It's like, okay, let me dig into my tool, my tools mentally and see what I can pull out. Like, okay, you know, I don't want to do it no more. Okay, well, then you, you go into your head and you think, okay, why do I want to do it? And you might have four different reasons why you want to do it. You pick the one that suits it the most, you know, like yeah. it might be for someone else. It might be for my mom. It might be for the whole human race or, you know, and you just continue like just going through your tool set for different situations. Yeah. Some people got one tool. And that's not where you want to be. It's a lo- It's a long-term approach, isn't it? It's huge. Yeah. I mean, because everything in this type of writing, everything you've ever done, 
is usable. Like everything you've ever done can be used in a ride like this to benefit you. Totally agree. And you have to really, once you start thinking about once you start thinking about it like that, it changes your whole, you don't longer feel like you're not good enough to do it anymore. You can't achieve what you thought or you feel like, oh, this guy's better than me and I'm nowhere near that level. You start thinking like, fuck, like I, I definitely, like you start thinking like, yeah. Because in a sense, like you're the most equipped person on the whole planet to be doing it just as a human because humans endure. Like, you know, once you tell someone to that, they start going, they, you can see them connect the dots. Like that's why you're here. It's because you've endured. Your ancestors endured. Like that's our story, isn't it? Yeah, our story is endure, we've endured, man. That's, that's why you're here. You're the best endurance athlete in the world, bro. Like in a sense. So once you become aware of that, then it's like, mm, what's 500K ride? Like really in the scheme of what's been done, you know? Like what did your ancestors have to do, man? So and, then, and you've got the same DNA, don't you? Like you got the genetics. Like we talk about genetics in sport and you have to be, have elite genetics. Like mo, you know, as humans, like we've got the elite genetics just to, to, just to endure. And uh, that's what I think about. So I in a way to- it seems arrogant when you're telling yourself, like I'm the best in the world. Like but in, if I tell you right now, I'm the best in the world, like it sounds arrogant. But then once you explain it and you say, I'm the best in the world, but you're also the best in the world and she's the best in the world. And your mum's probably the best in the world, and like you know, then it makes sense. And then you don't, then you don't cast those preconceived limitations on yourself, like where you think, oh, I can't do that, you know. And that becomes that becomes huge, man. That becomes massive, man. When you start saying things like that, and you start believing things like that, like you just destroy, you just self. It's just self sabotage. You just sabotage yourself in anything you do, and you don't really get to perform at the level you want. Speaks to everything, really. Truly, truly wise words. That, that, that <laughs> what you've done and what you know, yeah. what you you face throughout that race mm. uh, are really lessons for life in general. Oh yeah, it's just about making progress, isn't it? Mm. It's just I like I like that, and that's why I'm, I I love the type of writing is because it just speaks to life, man. In general, in in the most in the most intimate sense, that it's just like you don't know and you don't know, and no one's telling you anything. And you've got to make progress. What are you going to do? You know what I mean? What can you do? Like you can't do anything. The only thing you can do is move forward. You know what I mean? So, and that's what I love about it is like you'll be out there. It's no different to anything. Like you can think back on all your choices you've ever made sometimes or, or how many choices you have to make in the um, face of an unknown outcome, right? Just like in life, right? And how many times you've just shot yourself in the foot because like subconsciously you're scared. When you're out there, you get a, a real taste of that process where it's like, you want to do something, but you don't know what's going to happen because it's completely unknown. There's no other option but to keep going. And I love that because it just speaks to the human story. It's like, you know, like you can, I'm a floating rock in the middle of space. You don't know what to do. You don't know what the meaning of life is. No one really knows. And I have to make progress and I'm scared, but I need to find a way to navigate the whole thing. And that's what I like about it yeah. in a big, broad sense. Yep. Yep. That's awesome. Dude. Yeah. So it's almost like someone actually asked me the other day, like, I would actually even like, I was even thinking about it before, like how can I prepare for this thing? And I was like, just be a better human, man. You know, like that's in a simple regard, just be a better human. If I could just become a better human over this training cycle, then I know I'll do better in the race because I don't really separate the race and life. To me, they're one thing. Like it's just one thing. There's, they're just they're the same thing to me. So just becoming a better human, I knew I'd be able to navigate the experience better. But I would even break it down. Like I'd do the dishes and be thinking like, how can I do these dishes better? You know, how can I focus better? How can I pay attention more? How can I care more? How can I be less of an asshole? 
you know, like things like that. And they were huge for me. They made the biggest difference, man. Those small details and just learning how to focus my attention on things and care and just made me way better. Awesome, dude. That's yeah. Amazing. yeah. What's next for you? I mean, I'm not sure. Like, as I said, we've discussed the the epic race yeah, that we all want. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you think that's something on the cards? Do you think you'll do the yeah. Trans Am again? I'll never do the Trans Am again, just because I don't like the idea of going back to the same. I, obviously, it'd be a different experience. It would never be the same experience, which is cool. But I mean, if you, for me personally, if I'm going to go through all like what all of that, that whole process, like I'd like to see a different country. Like I'd like to do it through Europe, like just so I can have those same that, that kind of experience in Europe would be cool and connect with other people. But apart from that, like, you know, that's, that's a, you know, to do that, that's a year minimum. And that might, it might be a year minimum to get to the same level. Like to return to the same level might be a year. So, so I'm not, I don't want to return to the same level. And then at the same time, like, you know, who knows where cycling can take you, man. But I don't want to go back to being a laborer. <laughs> you know, I don't want to labor anymore. As much as I, we, I enjoyed doing laboring and, you know, you kind of make use, you kind of make, you make it cool just by, well, this is how it is. I have to make it good. But I don't want to go doing that, man. Yeah. You know? So what are you doing for, for a living? These well, days? right now I'm not doing anything since I got back, but I have to go back to doing something. But You had a YouTube channel. Mm. You do have a YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, you've got a lot of followers. Yeah. I mean, kind of. Um, are you still doing the YouTube videos? I'm not. No, I'm not. I, I wanted to focus on cycling, so I didn't do the, you know, like I didn't, I didn't want to continue doing the YouTube videos while I was training. It's just too many things for me to focus on. Even though it's not like you, you know, you come home from training or whatever. Like you might go do an eight-hour ride. Like even though you have time to put into making videos, like it's I still felt like it would take away from my training. So I want one hundred percent focus on training. I didn't want to know anyone to know what I'm doing, and not from the sense that I wanted to be like, not in like a reverse psychology way. Like I'm not going to tell you so you're thinking about me more. In a way that I was just like, well, this is how it is. Like you're this. This whole thing is going to be important to you the most. It doesn't matter. Like you don't need to worry about anyone else. Like no one needs to know what I'm doing for me to be able to do it. And I was just training that. You know what I mean? So not uploading on Strava because like I don't want to be out there doing an eight-hour ride and think to myself, oh, this would look good on Strava. Yeah. So that's why I removed myself from Strava because I'm like, that's a limitation, dude. You yeah. know, just that tiny bit of external validation, I didn't want it. Yeah. So that's why I kind of secluded myself, went full hermit on it. And um, that was uh, my approach. So I kind of ditched the YouTube for a while and they, and they appreciate it. But if I didn't do it, then I wouldn't have done well at, at Trantam and I wouldn't have done well at IndyPack in a way. So that approach really helped me. Now, now I will have, probably have downtime and talk to people about it for a while, harp on about it, you know, for a while. But if I was going to prepare for something again, I, can't, I, couldn't, I couldn't see myself making videos about it. I'd have to get someone else to come film once a week or something, you know, something like that. Like I couldn't. I couldn't handle it. Yeah. As weak as that sounds, but I just can't. Yeah. I find I can't improve at the rate I want to improve on when I'm focusing about this. You know how it is. If you're talking all the time, like you can't you lose out on other things like learning. Like I wanted to read a book. You know, I hadn't read a book my whole life. Like so I wanted to read a book. You know, that was big for me. Like that was a part of my training. You know, reading three or four books was huge for me. So I wanted to read. Did you listen to music or anything like that or audio books? Or? I listen to music. I listen to music, but eventually you just get, like I said, you get so tired you can't listen anymore because it requires energy to listen. You know, you'd really find that out at the end of the thing that like anything that goes into the ears, like it's almost like the information comes into the ears and like just to translate that information inside of your brain requires energy. 
So you, it's so funny at the end of it when you're so on low on energy, just like a sound, the idea of like your brain having to like convert this like wave into some form of like, you know, something you can understand is like too much. That's why go, going back to what we were speaking about earlier with people coming and talking to you as you're halfway, three quarters of the way through the race. I mean, yeah. it takes energy to have a conversation with someone. I remember seeing a video mm. on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, a guy came up to you. Yeah. Um, you said he was a nice guy. He was a great guy, yeah. But he took a video here. Well, I've got it here. We'll, we'll play a little bit of it. What I laughed at was the first three questions. He didn't know your name. Yeah. He thought you were from New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we'll I did a race it. in India. We'll play it now. All right, Abdullah, what's your last name? Zenab. Zenab. This is so awesome, man. I mean, you're like literally a day ahead. I think so, yeah. Are you setting records? I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I flip between wanting to and then just being like, oh, I just want to make it, eh? Because couldn't you just like, you could probably just stop and sleep for a while and... Yeah. You could probably stop and sleep for, for a day or two. A yeah. day and you'd still be in front. You were wearing that vest yeah. through, through for every day? Pretty much, yeah. So do you think that's a valuable, that was a valuable the, asset? The vest, the, the vest was good. Like, I just didn't want to take it off and put it back on really. Yeah. So I just wore the vest. We had, you know, a, a requirement of the race was to wear that vest. The um, And so um, I had like a Provis, one of those like expensive vests. And I was like, this is heavy, man. Like I got that Provis vest and I was like, this is too heavy. It's a great vest, like amazing vest. But I was just like, this is too heavy for my knees. So I ditched that, brought it, sent it back to Australia. I just got a tradie vest, lightweight. Obviously, like, you know, it probably negates some of the aero benefits of having that thing blowing the, in the wind. Yeah. But um, I just kept it on, man. I just thought, why not? So sunburn wise, were you like, yeah, no, obviously the arm. I had no sunburn. I mean, my hands got sunburnt and fat from the altitude in the sun because it feels like the sun's right on top of you in some of those states. Yeah. It feels literally like it's right on top of you. So um, I got, but you know, I learned my lessons, man. On Indie Pack, I was sunburnt tomato, couldn't eat salt. My lips were so jacked up. Like, and I remember seeing, learning these things from Christoph, watching him like put on his little lip balm and, you know, little details like that, you know, take your shoes off, do things like that. So this time I was like, all right, cool. Like I really wanted to try out all these things. Like, So he took his shoes, he was taking his shoes I, off. I'm not sure if I saw him took his shoes off or Mike took his shoes off. But, um, you know, I keep I pay attention on all of it, man. I even saw that, do you know, this guy called Riz, Ryan Rizzer from Melbourne, dude. Yeah. I remember seeing him post, this was game changing for me, shout out to him. He take his shoe out, foot out, and then put it on top of the shoe clipped in and pedal. So like when I was like, I would do that as a routine. Like once a day, I'd be like, all right, time to get my, let my feet breathe. It's like having a break. You put your feet out and those things become a break for you. Like, oh, cool, downtime. Like, you know, like I'm having downtime now. My feet, I'm not really, you don't feel like you're riding anymore. So I do things like that. Just trying to maintain my physical health the best I could, you know, and that's like lip balm. I didn't use sunscreen. I should have used sunscreen, but trying to stay out the sun and you still get sun, crazy sun exposure, but you're not a tomato like that just, when your lips are disgusting. Yeah, you gotta look after yourself. You need um, to be responsible, man. Of the whole course profile, mm. it was quite hilly at the start. It was hilly and then, the whole and time. And that through that middle section it was. That was flat. only a thousand K. Yeah, and then you and then so you've got the flat section through the middle, and then you've got the real hilly section towards yeah, the Yeah, I would say the most challenging hills are at the end. At the end. The start are just long climbs. Long, like you know, like you're doing Falls Creek climbs. The back side of Falls Creek, not the hard side of Falls Creek, the other side of Falls Creek. You're doing those type of climbs. 10, 15K, 5, 6%, 7%. You're just chilling, you know, like gone quite fast. The end is like 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 10% minimum climbs like up these 
long like climbs, like 18%, like you go over some pinches and you're just thinking, well, this is intense, man. Like I would even check my, my GPS just to double check I'm on the right road. Like, <laughs> you know, because you're thinking, yeah, there's no way they've rooted us through this climb. Like there's just no way. And you'll be going up thinking, nah, this is the right road, man. You know, you're just happy that you can get through it. Unreal. Like just thinking like, you know, like, wow, how did that happen? What what thickness tyres did you have? 28s. 28s. Yeah, I had 28s. They were good enough. Yeah. I like the 28s. I didn't like, I don't like the fact that now, like now I feel like I'm a bike nerd, dude. Like I know a fair bit about bikes now, which is weird. Like I don't, this isn't even a fair bit to know about bikes, but an observation I made was like that the new GP5000s, the 28 on them is like a legitimate 28. Yeah. Like I used to put them on my wheels, they would be like fat as, but I got these, they're like thin now. That devastated me. You know, I get the impression that you don't realise that you, you are arguably the best ultra endurance <laughs> cyclist nah. in the world. Arguably. <laughs> nah, I don't, it sounds uh, funny to hear because you, 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 when, you, when you think about yourself, you don't think about yourself. Like I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner or like, you know, like, like I, I rode 10Ks the other day and it was hard. You know, I do laps around Albert Park yeah. with my, you know, so I don't really think like that. But at the same time, to me, like making – like if I said to you that performance was nothing, I'd be being arrogant in my mind. Do you understand? Like I'd be thinking to myself, I'm arrogant. Like if you if you ran if you ran and ran five k in ten minutes at world record pace and you said, oh that's like, well it's not even an achievement. I'd be like, stop being so arrogant, dude. Of course it's an achievement. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely recognise that it was an achievement, um, and that you know. It's elite in its, in its level amongst other people. Do I think it's it's elite like the be, the best I can give? No, because it's really my second year doing it as a, a training for it, my f- first year and a half doing it. But I recognise where it sits amongst other people. But then again, I don't bench myself off mark of other people. Like I bench myself, I benchmark myself off like, you know, the human race. Like I benchmark myself on floating a rock in the middle of space. Like that's that's the limit. That kind of crazy broadness of like what's possible, like what, what human race has done, is, what's been possible for the human race, that's where I set my possibilities, like where I look to, not like what four or five guys who are obviously crazy athletes have done. So, um, and then again, I don't like thinking of myself like that. Even if it is true, like I would never think of it just because, you know, thinking about yourself too much becomes an issue and, you know, labeling yourself because what happens if I don't like cycling anymore? You know, or what happens? I had that when I first started lifting weights. Like I got into great shape and I was like, well, I don't like lifting weights anymore. And I was like, well, who am I? Just from my over-identifying with lifting weights. It became an issue for me. I felt like I just didn't know who I was. I just lost all form of identity. So in terms of this, like now I know better than to think of myself as a cyclist. It's more so just something I do. Yeah. Even if I do well at it, it's just something I do. Mate, we've covered a lot of ground. Hopefully. We've hopefully there's something in that forum. Uh, hopefully it's inspired others. Uh, are you going to stay on the bike over the next few weeks? Yeah, I mean, like, I'll get back on the bike. I'll get back to training next week. Get back to training because I'm on the bike. Yeah. yeah, I'll get back to training. I mean, training for me will be like eight hours a week, Yeah, nine hours a week, six hours a week, whatever. When I say training, when I, just being consistent and having an intention with it. Yeah. Exercising for me is just like going for a walk or something, you know, like when I say training, I mean just doing it to get better. I'm doing the pilgrimage 2020. No way to Adelaide. To Adelaide. We're going via the coast. Oh, that's yeah. When you guys go inland, I think you guys are crazy, man. That's like honestly, that's like that's not having that's like not having aero bars. Yeah. I've ridden, I rode that for training. It was the most terrible it's experience a, I've ever had. It's a it's a tough way to go. Flat mentally. tires, 
no scenery, big trucks, rough roads. Like even if you have to do another two hundred k, it doesn't matter. Yeah, the co- we're going the coast. It's a thousand kilometers. Um, okay, so that's uh, a nice road if you do it slow. Yeah, sixteenth through to the nineteenth. So over four days. That's perfect. 16th. So I'm going to try and it's going to be fully supported. That's perfect. So would it be good to get you along to it? I'd love to, man. I'd love you doing. You can come along as a uh, sort of a, an instructor, sort of. You know, <laughs> my instructors, they wouldn't like my instructions. <laughs> You'd just be They'd like, be crying. I'd be like, put your, I'd be like, put your shoes on. They'd be like tired, and I'd be like, all right, well, this is counterintuitive. Now That's you, have, you have to go harder now. <laughs> yeah, we've got twelve hours to go. Yeah, well, you know, there's things like that. Like you know, it's cool riding with you know. It's in a way, it's harder to do long group rides for long hours because you become so like you know what I mean. You just become edgy, you know, and you start. I notice on group rides, I start not taking responsibility for my own self. Like I deflect on someone else. Like I'd be like, well, Mark's pissing me off, eh? Yeah. Really, I'm pissed off, and I'm like, well, let me see who I can blame. Like, so, but it is good, man, when you get a lot of people in, in a group, like, trying to. 250Ks is no joke. Yeah. Like, even if you do 500, whatever, 250Ks is still a big ride. Yeah. You know, so. It, it is, it is definitely. It's huge. For, for me, 250Ks is massive, man. Yeah. Like, it's, 200Ks is big. 100Ks is big. Well, we're going to do 250Ks every day, so four days. That's so. big, man. 1,000Ks, yeah. like, for any cyclist, that's massive. Like, yeah. Um, but you know you can do it people can do it people don't realise that most people look at that and go oh yeah, that's yeah, mate. yeah they don't understand how like if you know like it's it's scary to me to think that they where are you going to get uh, it sounds so brutal man but like in my mind I'm thinking if you don't think you can ride a thousand k's in four days where are you going where are you going to end up overall in life man that's what I tell, I'm thinking to myself like what kind of mindset is that you know, like dudes are walking across like the Arctic and like with, with, on one foot and like there's mums out there doing crazy stuff and having raising 10 kids, just crazy shit. And I'm like... There's cool. people out there doing much, much And you never hear about them. I'm like, man, like, you're, you're like, of course you can ride a 1,000K. Yeah. I'm like, you have to go ride a 1,000K now. As soon as you think you can't do it, you have to go do it. You have yeah. to go do Especially it. Especially this, like, because it's like, it's not like saying you, okay, let's go snatch 300 kilos. There's like a quarter of the percent of the population. There's like 0.0005% of the population who will have the genetics for that and ever train to a level where they can experience those genetics, right? Absolutely. But this is like saying, let's go for a 10-hour ride and then when you feel like giving up, let's do another hour. Well, we're talking about something that most of the population could do if they set their mind to it. Of course. You need, you need to exp- – like people need to experience – They need, you know, they need to experience that side of themselves because then you start to really – it's almost like you just start to, you know, feel the full potential of what a human is. You're just like, oh man, I could like, if someone came through here right now and put a gun to your head, like I could, I could kill him. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to say like, there's extremes to the human that you never get to experience because you live such a controlled life. And then if you never step out those boundaries, you never truly get to see what you're made of. And once you realize what you're made of, you're like, well, man, like Scott, the world's, I can do anything I want. Yeah. But it's just, just experience. Once you, you know, when you have a crazy experience and you never, you just, that one experience is then what shapes your perspective on everything, and, it's, and your perception of everything changes. You look at it, once you do 150k, you look at 100k, and you think, "Oh, that's not much." But until you do 150k, 100 is a lot. Until like you have a, a crisis, everything else. Until you have a massive crisis, every crisis before that seems like a big crisis. Then you have, like, you think everything's hard. Then you have a kid. Then you realize that that wasn't that hard. Now this is the benchmark for hard. So that's kind of how it starts to bubble out and how you start to see things. Yeah. Especially when you experience this side of yourself, man. And, I mean, people can experience this even just at home. Now, things like uh, we, we take for granted our, our life at home, our of hot course. showers, our of bloody course. warm bed. Do you know, you, you could start, for example, there's people on the internet doing cold showers every day. Yeah. You know, just taking cold showers every day. People are, looking for, people are looking for a way, man. 
People are looking for and that's a way why they're to, inf- hurt, and to that's really what, suffer. And that, you know, the thing yeah. is, you come full circle. It's crazy, man. The thing is, you come full circle on it. Like, people are looking for it now, and that's why this cycling is getting more popular, man. Because they understand, they're starting to see the benefits of like, in their mind, they start to see the benefits. They suffer a little bit. It's almost like peeling back the onion. You get closer to something more whole and more more satisfying. They get more sat. They find long term satisfaction in this process of going out there and and just. They call it, you know, suffering, whatever you want to call it. I don't like the word suffering, right? But they like try being under extreme stress. So people are looking for it. And this is a great, this is just a great way to to experience it. You come full circle on it. You just think there's, you kind of go like there is no suffering. It's very easy to say that when you're on a bike, like, because we're not in, we don't have no abject poverty. Like I don't have someone shooting, put a gun to my head. So it's, it's from my experience when I say in this type of cycling, like I think to myself, there is no suffering. And that's when it becomes easy because I'm like, I never, there was no, like the suffering was just in here. Like there was no, that was like good, bad. That never was a thing. This whole duality of good and bad, easy and hard, that kind of gets eliminated and becomes one thing. And you can kind of start to, when you start to think like that, you can kind of see how everything becomes more enjoyable because it's not like, oh, I have a tailwind, it's bad. Oh, I had a headwind, it was good. You know, there's no good and bad. So there's no up and down. Like if there's no up, like naturally you have an up, there has to be a down. You know, to have bad, you have to have good. But what happens if it's just okay? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I love but it. But okay, but people get think okay is just like, oh, then you're not really a human. But okay is just ultimate, it's just, you're just satisfied. And I would rather be satisfied than be extremely happy in the morning and extremely sad at night. You would rather just feel okay. 100%. And that's something, when I was young, I didn't really feel that. I just wanted to, I, I liked that, that, that happy feeling. But then as I continued, I started to notice like that, that deep satisfaction where like, you know what I mean? Like someone could snap your bike in half or some traumatic thing could happen and you're just okay with it. That's kind of like where the money is, like where you want to be sitting the whole time. So riding like that really shows you, it really gives you the tools mentally to be able to achieve that kind of state of uh, being. Which sounds like kind of like iffy and fiffy, but not really. Like once you start, it's not. It's, it's, it's not. It's just. It's really. It's it's. It's what you deserve. It's what how you should feel. It's how you, you should be satisfied. You know. Once you start thinking, I start thinking like. You know, being on a floating rock in the middle of space with billions of other people, being me at the center of my own experience. Like you're, you know, you're you. Like you're you're my friend. Like, but I'm your friend, and like he's your son, but you're his father. Like he's at the center of it. I'm at the center of it. You're at the center of it. Like to, to be in that position and not be satisfied, it's like, I think to myself, like, what have I done in my life? And what, how have I viewed the world to allow me to be in this level of dissatisfaction? To like, you know what I mean? Like if you look up, you're looking at stars, you know, like you look at another human being, you're looking at another human at the center of his own experience. Like how can you be dissatisfied? And I'd be dissatisfied thinking like, what, what have I done to get to this point? You know, so you just backtrack from there, but that's another whole other topic. But we I learned should, that from writing. I learned, I learned that from writing, hands down. Right, well, I learned that from training. I should say, it's all the same. I learned the same things weightlifting. I learned from writing. It's just I think it's a matter of time, and that's what I've noticed is that like, without the proper amount of time, you get nowhere. That's why you know flip flopping from something like becoming doing weightlifting for two weeks and then becoming a bodybuilder for two weeks and then doing cycling for two weeks, you don't ever really get any long term quality of life, do you? No. You know, like, so it's kind of like your skillful application of hard work over time. It's the Kung Fu of it in a way. Brother, it's been insightful. 
Hopefully they make it that far. <laughs> Hopefully they Thanks make it that far. Thanks for coming on board, I appreciate mate. it. I appreciate it. Hopefully Thanks. they liked it. Yeah, they're probably sure they excited at the end now. <laughs> we we um, we'll have this up on YouTube. So if you've got any questions for Abdullah, um, yeah, I'd love get, to answer. He, get a, he, I'm sure he'd be happy to answer your questions on yeah. the YouTube channel on yeah. the, in the comments. And uh, thanks again, bro. I appreciate it. Thank you.